0: Here in chapter 13 of 2 Kings, we have the summaries of two more evil kings and the death of Elisha. The chapter closes with a stunning miracle that has cleverly been called Elisha's last sermon. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Dead Men Do Tell Tales. Alrighty, good evening again. Let's get started. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings 13, we're going to pick up at verse 1. Now, Heavenly Father, we just open our hearts to the living word, Christ Jesus in our presence by the Holy Spirit. And you have a work to do. Father, you've ordained our steps. You've called each person to be here. It is your will that we be together in this hour to, to hear what you have to say. So, Father, may your purpose in each one of our hearts and lives uh, tonight be fully realized. In Christ's name, amen. amen. All right, so chapter 13, a quick overview. It's the life summary of two bad kings of the north. They're all bad. So we're gonna take a look at two more bad ones who had done evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then after the second king, we will see the death of the great prophet Elisha. It is uh, 814 BC, 814 years out from the night that the angels burst into joyful singing above the skies of Bethlehem. And so uh, here in a divided kingdom, uh, we have king of Israel, number 12, verse 1. Now, in the 23rd year of Joash, son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoaz, son of Jehu, became king of Israel in Samaria, the capital there of the new divided Israel, and he reigned 17 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord by following the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. And he did not turn away from them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and for a long time he kept them under the power of Haziel, king of Aram, which is Syria, and Ben Hadad his son. Verse 4 Then Jehoaz sought the Lord's favor, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw how severely the king of Syria was oppressing Israel. The Lord provided a deliverer for Israel, and they escaped from the power of Aram. Uh, So the Israelites lived in their own homes as they had before, but they did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. They continued in them. Also, the Asherah pole remained standing in Samaria. Nothing had been left of the army of Jehoahaz except 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Syria had destroyed the rest and made them like the dust at threshing time. As for the other events of the reign of Jehoahaz, all that he did, his achievements, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jehoash rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Jehoash, his son, succeeded him as king. All right, well, let's take a look at the life of king number 12. Um, And if you're taking notes, I would say number one would be the crazy cycle. Now, this is Jehu's son uh, who follows the pattern of Committing the sins of the very first king, Jeroboam. All right. So I've got that chart for you again. And so the very first king, it was David, Solomon, Solomon's boy. And then the kingdom got ripped and there was civil war and civil war to the end. All right. And so. The sins that Jeroboam committed was setting up idolatry and he kind of set the stage for the rest of Israel's history and they followed in his footsteps and all of the 20 or so kings in the divided kingdom of the north followed in his footsteps and all of their sins get attributed to this guy's account. Now tonight, The first king we're looking at that we just read about is Jehoahaz, and then his son. uh, For short, they call him Joash. And so these are the characters in tonight's uh, episode here. So we see that King uh, Jeroboam left a legacy, king number one. No one in the north ever shakes free of it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children. And it's not just talking about money. This guy left an inheritance for his children. The inheritance of curse and disobedience and all kinds of problems. That was the lifestyle that he lived. He set them up for failure. And uh, uh, no one could break free of it, right? Not even King uh, number 12, as we now know his name, Uh, He didn't turn away. Your verse says he didn't turn away from them, the sins of Jeroboam the first there. Now, what were they? Let's just read it together. What Jeroboam did that we're talking about that these kings don't break away from and keep doing evil in the eyes of the Lord? Well, in 1 Kings chapter 12, it tells us what the sins were that they're not turning from. So here it is Jeroboam thought to himself, The kingdom had split, right? So Jeroboam's thinking to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem, they're going to give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They're going to kill me and return to the king down in Judah. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. And he said to the people, hey, it's way too hard to go all the way down to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, these, these golden calves who brought you up out of uh, Egypt. And so once, one he set up in Bethel and the other he set up in Dan. So from the south to the north, you could go to worship the Lord through the golden calves. So it, it wasn't like a false religion. It was a false way to worship the true God. A false way to worship the true God. See, they're worshiping the Lord, but they're using the golden cows. All right. And this thing became a sin. People went as far as Dan to worship the one there. Jeroboam built shrines and high places, appointed priests from all sorts of people. There are rules about who could be a priest of the Lord. But, you know, you want to be a priest of the Lord? Are you a Levite? No, that's all right even though they were not Levites. There you go. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altars. Hey, listen, folks. You don't have to go down to Jerusalem. We'll have our own holidays here. We'll have holy days. We'll have priests. We'll do everything that they're doing, only you don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem. Why? Out of fear that they were going to like the king Rehoboam better. Than, than him and kill him and go and worship over in all out of insecurity and jealousy. Uh, this he did in Bethel, sacrificing the kid to the calves in the name of the Lord. And at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places he made on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing. <laughs> it's not biblical. Sacrifices on the altar he bu- built there, sacrificing there at Bethel. Uh, So he instituted the holidays for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make uh, offerings. This thing stumbled Israel. And the kings that followed in succession never broke free of it. And here's what they always say. It always says, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, for they did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. Now, when I read that, I just thought, how easy does God make it to to love him and inherit a blessing. Turn away. That's not rocket science. I can turn away. I mean, watch. <laughs> Whoa, that was so hard. Uh, honestly, really, it took all of three seconds and a decision to move. Turn away. How easy is it to go from hell, eternal damnation? to eternal life. How easy is it? Turn. From sin to Christ. Done. Pretty easy. Nobody's going to have on that great day the ability to say, I just couldn't do it. It was too hard. Said if you couldn't turn, you could just look to me. And Isaiah look to me the ends of the earth and be saved and so this is something they wouldn't do now I I call this the crazy cycle and I have a picture for you this is the story of Israel's life here uh uh, look at three through five. I'll just kind of summarize it. So the Lord's anger burns against Israel. For a long time, he keeps them out under the power of the Syrian army as a chastisement. to get them to turn. Uh, then the king seeks the Lord's favor, and the Lord listens to him. For he saw how severely they were being oppressed. The Lord's heart went out to them. They turned, and they called out on him finally. Uh, and verse five, the Lord provided a deliverer for Israel, and they escaped from the power of Syria, so the Israelites went back to life as usual in their own homes and enjoying life as before. You're going to read this all throughout the Old Testament peace and prosperity. Suddenly they get apathetic and they compromise morally and spiritually. They turn away from God. For after all, when you're doing good, who needs God? Everything's going well. Don't need them then they start to rebel. I'm going to do my own thing little by little. And paganism, the paganism is just doing uh, following the ways of the world. And then comes down the smackdown for whom the Lord loves he chastises. Because he in chastising it's a redemptive to say come back here, come back here. And if you think he hadn't been wooing with whispers and pleasures first, that failed Right? That's always what happens. He tries the easy ways in our blessings and in our pleasures, uh, but then he has to turn up the heat because we're sinners. Famine, war, plagues, and slavery. Slavery. And then finally it gets hot enough and there's confession and repentance and crying out to God. And God hears and saves and restores. You just read it in these verses, but you will be reading it a lot all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, So I call it crisis Christianity or the spiritual crazies. Um, It is when you live for God only when you're in trouble and as soon as you're fine, it's sinning time. I liked it. I tried it. It kind of rhymes there. All right. God is sought and behavior is brought under uh, God's commands, only under duress. And when the hardship is over, so is the walk with God and the crazy cycle uh, begins. Now, I have another chart of just this is just this, it's really a sine wave of some sort, Uh, but it it illustrates really the life of crisis Christianities or crisis uh, Hebrews. It doesn't matter. It's just this an entire roller coaster ride of your Christian life. It just doesn't look fun. You never really get anywhere. You got your mountaintop experience, and then you come off, and then you go down to the valley, and then you know it's it's up and down, up and down. Disobedience and sin, oppression and pain comes, crying out to God, deliverance, and then reverting back. And always notice in the text, it's then but but the sinning went on. Now um, that's not the way it should be. There's an arrow that goes up, and the way that it should be for Christians is always on the upward. Is this your life? You know, flat lines, flat lines in the ER. Don't don't bring good news to the patients or their families. So flat line or a line that goes up and down erratic like that, it's not healthy. Uh, a healthy Christian life, uh, as Second Corinthians chapter three says being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is uh, the Spirit. I love what Charles Spurgeon, British speaker, uh, preacher, I should say, of the 1800s there over in England, he says of this text, Israel's repentance was only half-hearted. They repented because they suffered, they repented because of the suffering rather than because of the sin. They went back to the sin after they escaped from the sorrow. Now think about that. We're all kind of the same that way. Thank you for the arrow up. So, uh, so really, God needs to get sinning Israel back on track Uh, He needs to get their attention. So there's this God-inspired advance from Syria that comes in. And your text tells you that they were down to 50 mounted officers and 10 chariots and 10,000 foot soldiers. Uh, That's practically nothing when you're fighting another nation. You know Ahaz could call up 2,000 chariots. They were down to 10 Ten chariots. And how did the Lord describe them after Syria brought the smackdown of God's chastisement? They were ground like dust after the grain has been threshed or, or uh, beat down like dust. And so, you know, some, some sinners out there are more stubborn than others. And so it took all of that disaster to get them to turn to the Lord. 10,000 soldiers? Do you know how many soldiers Moses had? 603,550. Wow. So, uh, it brought the desired result. You know, they called out, kind of superficially, which brought the desired relief, temporary ceasefire from uh, Syria and a retreat thereof. The spanking stopped, uh, the paddle was put away, but the heart wasn't changed now um so was jehoaz turning to god there was it genuine saving faith Uh, i hope so Uh, we're going to find out shortly king number 13 his son let's see how far the apple falls from the tree and i'll give you a clue not very far verses 10 through 13 In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, come on, you Hebrew parents, stop with these names. You're you're killing us up here. Make it easy. Look at this. I mean, seriously. Joash, Jehoash, Jehoaz. How are we supposed to keep all that straight? Okay, Jehoash becomes king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigns 16 years. So this is Junior. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and didn't turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, that first king, which he had caused Israel to commit. He continued in them. As for the other events of jehoash all he did and his achievements including the war against amaziah king of judah aren't they written written in the book of the annals of the kings of israel if you want more information about this guy's life you know where to find it verse 13 jehoash rested with his fathers and jeroboam succeeded him that will be jeroboam two all right And he's no better than one (laughs) on the throne. Jehoash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Okay. So we had number one, the crazy cycle. And here, number two, junior. Now, uh, I would call this the legacy of death. The legacy of death. So now, with Junior in his 16 year reign, you just have a pretty brief summary paragraph there, just a few verses. We are going to see an illustration of uh, one of his brighter moments coming up with the death of Elisha. Uh, but Je- Jehu was promised, King Jehu, you know what, Noel, can you put the first chart up? Jehu was promised by the Lord that he'd have four generations on the throne. So uh, Jeho- Jeho- Jehoash was the son. All right, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Jehohas, and then Jehoash, <laughs> and then Jeroboam II, and then Zechariah. These guys are all related by blood. And so this king that we're dealing with now is grandson to Jehu, or son of the guy that we just... Talked about Now, the description of his life and reign, you've heard the saying, of course, short, sweet, and to the point. This is short, bitter, and to the point. He basically followed in the evil footsteps of his father, his grandfather, and the rest of the kings of Israel. So uh, a couple decades uh, ago... Let me tell you how easy it is to pass on your sins and rebellion to the next generation, how sad it is. And it so often happens. A couple decades ago, now a relative of ours uh, in their early 20s was moving to the area where we lived and we were asked if we wouldn't mind housing them uh, just temporarily. And of course we said sure. Um, And they arrived from their faraway destination, pulled up into the driveway and took a long, long time to come in. Uh, Perhaps they were saying goodbye uh, to dad in the car. And so uh, the relative came in and we spent some time getting them settled. And then uh, the relative said why uh, they had been in the car so long. Because dad was giving, dad is a militant atheist, knew that he was dropping off said child with a pastor and a pastor's wife and a ministry family. So it was just a pep talk on how not to buy into anything Jesus. It was for a very long time using his parental authority and love and influence to bolster in the child a resistance to Christ and the gospel and eternal life. It happens. I mean, we see the chart, you see. Now, you know, dad was an atheist, I'm an atheist. Dad was unfaithful, I'm going to cheat. Uh, Mom was an alcoholic, I'm going to take comfort in uh, booze. Uh, King number 13, my father rejected the faith and walked in the ways of the evil kings before, so I'm going to reject the faith and continue to turn away. It can work that way, or we can look at it in a positive light, too, like Timothy. Timothy, whose grandmother was Lois, who was in the faith, and then his mother, Eunice, and then that faith got passed on to dear Timothy, And so I'd rather be known in heaven as somebody who uh, passed along the faith and blessing in life and set people up to succeed and not to fail, spiritually speaking. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, so notice he had achievements in this short little paragraph. And all of his achievements, but the, the writer of Second Kings doesn't think that it's fitting to go into them now. If you want to know about them, maybe the chronicler will tell you about it. Why does he say that? He says, uh, one writer wrote this about uh, this whole idea. Achievements in the lives of those who align themselves with evil, whose lives are characterized by godlessness and unbelief, In the end, any achievement will count for nothing. And so you have, here's this guy, the Lord just told us, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord all his life. And his achievements are written somewhere else. Well, so what are you talking about? He had achievements. He had achievements. King number 13, you know, he had a lot of achievements, uh, but they didn't matter because he was not godly. So let's continue, verse 14. Now Elisha was suffering from an illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, this junior, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried. The chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did. So take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he he shot the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram over Syria, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Syrians at a place called Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it, but now you will defeat it only three times. Okay, that's interesting. Let's talk about that. First, we had the crazy cycle, then the legacy of death. And now, number three, the opportunity for faith. The opportunity for faith. And I believe that every single person will get that opportunity uh, to come to know the Lord. And God sets us up in moments where we come close to that and have to decide. Okay, so here in the text, Elisha is dying. It happens. You know, a new statistic is in. 10 out of 10 of us have to die. Uh, but except 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. What does it say? Paul says, speaking by the Holy Spirit, listen, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We're not all going to die. But in a moment, a trumpet will sound and a twinkling of an eye, and we shall be changed, and caught up to the presence of the Lord. So we're not all going to die. But uh, we are headed in that general direction unless the rapture happens. (laughs) All right. So uh, a bit of a surprise here because our bad boy king that just got labeled as doing evil in the eyes of the Lord all his life, right? uh, We see him coming down to see a man of God, Elisha, and he's moved to tears and he addresses Elisha respectfully. Uh, Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about that. He said, dear friends, Let us seek uh, so to live that even ungodly men may miss us when we are gone. That's uh, Spurgeon's take on that. Now, he has accomplishments. He's sad to see Elisha go for whatever reasons. And uh, he has respect. You you know, not everybody who's a hell-bent sinner uh, is a monster, Nice people perish. Good people don't go to heaven and bad people go to hell. It's saved people go to heaven and unsaved people go to hell because Jesus said, you are all evil. We get into our minds that good people still go and bad people uh, do not. And so here's a, here's a bad person who has some good characteristics. I hope you understand that we need to be evangelizing nice people. Nice people who reject Jesus are doing it passive aggressively to him and just uh, cutting him out by ignoring him. I wish you were dead. I'm not going to say anything to you. I'm going to pretend like you were. And so here, pretty nice people are going to go down. So you know what? He cries when he sees he's had Elisha's deathbed. He's a bad guy. But he's crying and using respectful terms. When Billy Graham goes to be with the Lord, you just wait and watch. Who's going to turn up at the auditorium with tears and with beautiful words? And they don't know the God that he served. You just watch. You'll see. Lots of people say and lots of nice things and have a great tears about all kinds of things. It doesn't mean anything. In this case, the guy's evil. does evil in the eyes of the Lord, doesn't know the Lord, but somehow he goes to see Elisha. So what's that about? And he says, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Well, interesting. That My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel is a quote from Elisha's life when he saw the, the, the majestic display, the supernatural glory of God coming to pick up his mentor, Elijah. When he saw that, Elisha, who's sick, he said several chapters ago, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. He's saying that so this guy's repeating what he knows to be the truth about Elisha's own life. In other words, he's saying, he's saying, hey man, whoa, now it's time for you to go. But I notice a few things about that. Number one, unbelievers know way more than they ever led on to knowing. How do you know this story? How do you know about the glorious chariots that came down to get his mentor? How do you know the exact line? They know. They, you think that's all he knows? This bad boy, junior, king, who lived uh, his whole life against the Lord, he knows all about Moses. He knows about the Ten Commandments. He knows about the Exodus out of Egypt. He knows about the Ten Plagues. When Joshua and the, uh, goes into... Uh, Jericho and the spies talk to Rahab. Rahab hides the spies and what does she say? She's a Canaanite prostitute. And what does she say? She says, hey, I'm hiding you because we have heard all about the Lord and how he dried up the the sea and let you guys go through in the pillar of fire and how he killed Og and the king of Vashon and the other king as well. We've heard about the Lord And she's naming names and places. She's a prostitute behind the walls of a pagan city. And she's heard all about the Lord. And so is this guy. They know. They know. And with that knowledge, they are responsible. Rahab got the knowledge, and she acted on it. This guy has the knowledge. My father, my father, the chariots of horsemen, just like you said back now, now it's time for you to go. And why is he crying? He's sad. Because he thinks that as the mascot, the spiritual mascot of Israel is taken away with Syria breathing down Israel's throat and his neck too, he thinks, well, God's favor surely is going to pass because this guy's dying, right? Because that's his faith, you know, the blessing is, he knows Elisha's the real deal. So he's weeping, he's weeping, well, who knows really why, but he's weeping probably because he knows he's not going to have God's favor like he used to if Elisha is not around. So the Lord's going to use this occasion to attempt to increase Joash's slim faith, and here's this thing with the bows. And so Elisha knows Joash is afraid of Syria and he's come to him, uh, to say goodbye and really to ask for some help or a blessing, I think. So even while Elisha's dying, he's thinking of encouraging somebody else. And so here's what he says. He says, pick up a bow. So he picks up a bow. And in verse 15, Elisha puts his hands on top of the King's hands and, um, He's saying, hey, we're going to have a living parable here. I want you to catch on. We're doing something. I'm trying to talk to you in spiritual talk. I want you to have a little bit of faith. I'm trying to elicit a faith out of you that will hopefully put you Right with God, and so let's see if Jehoash can get it. So he he aims out the window, open up the window, aim to the east where Syria is invading. And uh, in verse seventeen, we get this explanation: Uh, it's the Lord's victory, Jehoash. We're going to fire arrows towards Syria, and he says it's the Lord's victory. Very, very important. It's the Lord's victory. It's not your victory, but if you align yourself with the Lord and the Lord's victory, you will succeed because of the Lord. You see, it's just beautiful here. And in fact, he says that the very place of the victory will be Aphek. It's a strategic site in between Damascus and Samaria, so, uh, and where Ahab defeated Syria once before, and so it's a famous location Uh, So here's the, the promise, is victory in the Lord. Now I want you to act on it. So here's the faith part. He says, strike the ground. In Hebrew, it can mean just fire randomly at any target, and the arrow will strike the ground. So he opens the window, and he says, he has a quiver, and there are usually six in a quiver So he says, okay, start firing. The Lord's victory. Come on, do you get the parable here? And so he fires three times and he goes, I'm done with this charade, okay? (laughs) You left arrows in there, man. God's with you. Are you you not getting this? God is trying to tell you. Fire the arrows. Uh, Hook up with me. Believe. Fall in line. It's my victory and I'll give it to you. Now shoot, shoot, man, shoot them all. Come on, one, two, three. And Elisha's like, and he just puts the bow down. He says, is this enough? Are we done yet? Oh, and Elisha says, that's too bad. That is too bad. There were six quivers in there, six arrows of the quiver. Here's what one commentator said. Now, we read this and think, it seems reasonable to take three random shots. He said, fire, he takes three shots. But the king's three random shots, in light of what the Holy Spirit was revealing to his heart, in light of what Elisha was trying to instill in him, uh, fell short and is meant to reveal to everybody this king's unwillingness to cooperate with God and to put into his uh, action a full-hearted aggressive, pedal-to-the-metal response. There are three shooters all over Christendom, a feeble attempt in the things of God without a wholehearted commitment to follow through to the bitter end. And his three-shooter response made Elisha sad. Three is half a six, half hearted half-hearted response he was like you should have kept going man this is your attitude your lack of faith you rolled your eyes you put it down you knew you were supposed to just go for this go with this believe trust your hesitancy will cause you to forfeit future victories you know partial cooperation with God is going to get you partial results so keep shooting keep shooting us, keep shooting, keep shooting in the battle against sin. Pull the next arrow in your battle uh, to attain Christian knowledge. Fire off one to attain faith. Keep shooting to do more for the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep shooting because the world, the flesh, and the devil never stop. Don't leave arrows in there and say I'm done. I need a rest. Okay, everybody needs a break. Well, you're going to get a break. <laughs> you're going to get a break. So Elisha dies and is buried. Now let's finish up. 20 through the end and we'll be done. Elisha dies and was buried. Now Moabite, modern day Jordan, west central Jordan is Moab. Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Haziel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel throughout the reign of Jehoaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion and showed concern for them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this day, to this day, God has been unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his presence. And that is true to this day as well. (laughs) Verse 24, Haziel, king of Syria, died, and Ben-Hadad, his son, succeeded him as king. Then Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, recaptured from Ben-Hadad, Son of Haziel, the towns he had taken in battle from his father Jehoahaz. Three times Jehoash defeated him and so recovered the Israelite towns. All right, we're finished up here. The crazy cycle, uh, the legacy of death, and the opportunity for faith. And now closing up, the promise of life. The promise of life. So, uh, time for one last miracle associated with Elisha. One writer said, it's time for Elisha's last sermon (laughs) from the grave. So a way cool story here, perhaps one of my favorites. It's definitely a Sunday school hit for sure, Uh, this story for sure. Now, uh, Mr. uh, Half-Hearted Three-Shooter thinks With Elisha gone, there go the promises and the power of God because it's all wrapped up in this guy here. He died, and now everything's just going to go to fought. And so the Lord is speaking to him um, here. Now, the setting, verse 20. So Moab, I told you, is a Jordanian country now. And these guys used to come down, swoop down every springtime regularly uh, to loot the early harvest in spring, late spring. And now why did they do that? Well, because bad guys have a low uh, work ethic or zero. And here's what they did. (laughs) okay? Israelite, the Israelites would plant and nurture and till and fertilize and work and grow and water and till and all and prune and do all of the hard work. And then they would harvest it. And then right at harvest time, the bad guys would swoop down in and loot and take it away. Thank you very much for your hard work. The same way godless, evil men went take advantage of a storm or power outage or a catastrophe downtown and you find them jumping through windows and just taking whatever they want because they don't want to work for it. They just believe that it's all theirs. And so these guys come down, uh, rushing in. And so here, here they come and this terrific story. On one occasion, there's a funeral, committal service. A committal service is what you do at the cemetery when the body's going in to the grave. And so there's a committal service. Uh, they're, they're heading toward the grave or the plot, and they're winding through the cemetery. And, uh, and they notice on the hills, oh, my word, the, 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 the Moabites are coming in. It's harvest time. They're descending from the hills in the distance. So the pallbearers, they panic right and so they hastily they got to get out of there and run away so they hastily take the body and the first grave that they come to they just kind of toss him in dust. They throw the commentator i was reading it said let him down and then I went I, I thought I didn't read let him down like did they take time to say okay we gotta hoist him down no it does say throw <laughs> and so they take him they're nervous they're gonna get killed by these Moabites they take the dead body of the deceased and it's like he's dead he's not gonna feel it right <laughs> so, so they throw the dead guy into the first opening and it's like oh, 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 and they throw him in there but they pick the right tomb as soon as the dead guy hits the remains of Elisha he comes to life and he stands up and he says hey whoa and he he climbs up out of the tomb and now they're running away but for a different reason (laughs) can you imagine first you're running for your life from the raiders the Moabite raiders and now you're running for your life because the dead guy that you know is dead he's dead dead and you, you're not just kind of dead or sort of dead, but all the way dead, dead. You toss him in the grave, and he, he starts to climb out. And you're running away, and you hear, "Hey, wait for me!" <laughs> you left me in a hole with some dead guy. Unbelievable. now I am ordering that one. When I get to heaven, I am ordering that DVD because. I've got to see that as it went down, right? Now, what's the lesson there? Because Elisha's preaching a sermon even though he's dead, you know. The lesson here, Mr. Three Arrows. My power in my presence isn't over because some godly die, guy dies, Right? Let's do this, Joash, God speaking. You see what I can do? I'm still here. I'm still powerful. I'm still alive. The God who can restore life to the dead can restore you. I'm still with you guys, even though the prophet is gone. Put your faith and trust in me, the God of this dead man. Is powerful. So, grandma disappears off the scene, or your godly mother, your godly father. God's still going to keep his promises, especially as you touch the words and the heart and the heartbeat of what that person who's now deceased was all about, right? In other words, let me put it this way anyone who comes in contact with the dead prophets, even today, can experience the same resurrection, right? Those guys are dead, right? But their words, you come in contact with those dead guys, contact with faith in your heart. When you hear their words, here are some of them, these dead guys, there's a whole list of them. Isaiah died 700 years before Jesus came. Turn to me and be saved, all you the ends of the earth, for I'm God, there's no other. Jeremiah is a dead guy. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Next slide. Jonah died and not in the whale. <laughs> the, those who cling, those to, from within the whale, this part of his prayer in chapter 2. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be there. Salvation comes from the Lord. Here's another dead one. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Do I have another one? The Lord your God is with you, says this dead guy. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Another guy died, apparently. But as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Another Old Testament death. Two more. This is it. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Now, listen. Your bones, your bones, meet those bones. You touch there with, with a heart that believes that, that from that man who's been dead a long time, you come in contact with what he spoke, God spoke through him. This is, these are his words, Amos words. God didn't violate his free will. This guy lived and he breathed and lived this message and he said it. If you come in contact, you get thrown into that grave, man, you're going to come up. You're going to be resurrected today. Let us give ear. Full-hearted. I'm thinking of something silly, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> Disneyland. Jordan and I we love to go to Disneyland. We go try to go once a year, and our favorite ride is Pirates. And uh, when you're coming up right there in the beginning, there's some fog or mist, and there's Uh, a pirate being projected on there and he says over and over again, dead men tell no tales. Uh, And you're getting closer and closer. Dead men tell no tales. I love that one. And then you always have to reach up and try to see what is that, you know. Uh, Oh, contraire. Dead men do tell tales. (laughs) And if your heart with faith touches any part of that tale. It's a tale that breathes life to the heart, and that truth will set that heart free. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for these dead men who, even though they're dead, yet they live on. And they live today and are alive and speak in the presence of the Lord because they believe. And through them, your living word comes and touches us and makes us alive. We thank you so much for your great love. Now, touch our hearts, seal these truths up deep inside of us and help us to understand them as we uh, think about your wonderful love. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. And of course, the promise that we will all rise applies to every human being. Everybody's going to rise. The only thing that's going to be different is the facial expression on Jesus' face when we all rise. Amen. One of love and acceptance to those who believed and a stern look for those who did not. Uh, Let me share with you the four one-liners that I took away. Uh, from, from tonight's chapter number one stop the crazy cycle of crisis Christianity by walking with God every day and being fully committed to him in the good times and the bad times alike number two leave a legacy of life by turning from sin and obeying God's commands by living a life that inspires others to turn from sin and to obey God number three Avoid being a three-shooter by being filled with God's Spirit and loving Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And lastly, number four, dead men do tell tales, (laughs) tales of truth that bring life to those with ears to hear. Amen. Let's pray together. So Lord, we just commit ourselves to your care. It's all about your grace. May you stir in our hearts a desire to turn from evil, to turn away from not from what's not right, and to embrace and to turn to God, our Savior, loves us so very much. Help us to cooperate with you all the days of our lives. In Christ's name, amen, amen. Don't forget to keep the team in Africa in your prayers. Amen. And we'll see you in a couple weeks from now. God bless you. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.